0: Welcome back to the podcast. This week, our guest is Matt Chansey, who is a financial planner and tax expert. Welcome, Matt.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Gary. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: So Matt, tell us, I mean, you didn't You didn't just, you know, when you graduated college, you didn't just happen to, to jump into, to, you know, tax reduction.
1: Tell us how you got started. That's a great question. You know, no, this was not um, as a 20 something and when you come out of college, the, the taxes does not sound like an interesting thing to go into. Um, even a couple of my fraternity brothers who went into the tax business, whose dads had successful tax practices, did not look forward to doing it, but it felt like a clear path for them. So they ended up doing it anyway. But um you know, I actually have an undergrad degree in legal studies, and my plan was to go to law school. Um, and after you know taking the LSAT, I had determined I got a job offer from an older fraternity brother that said, "Hey, I could get you into the medical space." and You know, when I came out of college in the early 90s, uh, mid 90s, when I came out of college, you know, being in the medical space, pharmaceuticals or surgical suite or anything like that sounded extremely appealing. So uh, interviewed with a big uh, global company, Um, I think at the time it was like the sixth largest company actually in the world, not listed on the U.S. exchange, but they had a surgical division in the United States where I would go directly into the surgical suite and, uh, you know, for, scrubs, the whole deal, right in with doctors, right. Out of the gate. That seemed like the greatest thing ever, you know? So, um, took that job. And, you know, like everything in the medical industry, after a couple of years in the business, um, somebody else calls on you and says, Hey, we know that you're in the medical space. We know that you have physician or medical relationships. We have a product that has better margin, um, but we need to sell it to those same doctors. So since you've spent a couple of years building those relationships on somebody else's dime, we'd like to reposition you and let you sell our better margin product on our dime now. Right. So so I got an opportunity to move a couple of years later. And then a couple of years after that, I got an opportunity to move to a much smaller medical device company, um, really kind of a startup. But I was able to structure kind of my own compensation plan. Well, that was a blessing and a curse for the people that brought me on. And had raised some early, some kind of some private capital to start this uh, durable medical equipment company, because um, after a couple of years, I was making more money than they were making. Uh, based on the way I designed my compensation program, I said, you know, I don't need a salary. I don't need you to cover my expenses. I'll work 100% on commission and I'll manage my own business, but I want all commission to be 4X your original proposal and I want it in perpetuity. Every time you get a dollar that I generated, I want my piece of that dollar. Well, 3 years later I was making so much more than everybody else there, even the owners and stuff like that. They which sounded like a good deal at the time, but was not a good deal for them later. They they wanted me out, which I understand. I would have wanted me out too. Um so I so I had a little bit of money and and at that point and I was about 29 and I had a bunch of my fraternity brothers and other people I knew call on me and say, "Hey man, you know, I'm with big name financial firm and I could help you manage your money, you know, and all the other stuff. And I basically thought to myself, well, geez, you were stupid in college and you're stupid <laughs> now. I'm not letting you touch my money. Right. So I, I talked to the guys that I respected in finance and, that had gone in that path. And I, and I really didn't have any financial training at that point. And, you know, I'm now 29. Um, and and I, and I kind of wrote a white paper. I Weirdly, I don't know why I'm wired this way, but I wrote a white paper of all the answers of all the questions I asked all these financial guys and I asked them three questions. I said, you know, if you could start over today, knowing what you know today and be the best and the brightest as fast as possible, how would you possibly achieve that? And and the three takeaways from that report were number one is, you know, it's going to take you years to tell anybody that you've got years of experience but you can tell anybody that you have the highest credentials in the business after only three years by getting a CFP, right? Mm -hmm. So getting a CFP good designation was kind of part of the first plan. Um, The university of central Florida had an undergraduate degree in a graduate degree in finance that came with the ability to sit for the CFP boards. It was an executive program that happened every Friday night and every Saturday for 18 months. And and that was the program that I went through. Um, And then there are two other parts of the people told me was that if you're going to get into this, that never go with a big brand name firm because they they're they're going to treat you like cattle. And and as soon as you learn what you're doing, you're going to want to get away from them. So if you can figure out how to do it without being part of a big branding firm, it's better to do it that way. Get independent, stay independent, be independent. And because I was capitalized, I always have been independent. I've never worked for a big branding firm. I'm basically self-educated and self-taught outside of the, the large financial ecosystem. And number three, the thing that they taught me was that referrals are the best business. Like Whether it's from a client, whether it's from a center of influence, whether it's a lead source, whoever it is, it builds a relationship with somebody that has your ideal client and demonstrate enough value to those people that they'll want to refer you clients, right? That's the best way to build this business. And so I took those kind of three, three cornerstones away from it. And I said, okay, how do I do that? Well, I I went and got a graduate degree in finance, became a certified financial planner. Um, wasn't really interested in being in the finance business right out of the gate. Didn't really understand the business of finance per se. It was just more about self-education. And um, so I started, hung my own independent flag, you know, just kind of doing my own thing. Didn't go work for anybody big. And, um, and, uh, and then said, well, who in the heck do I want to refer me a client? What would I do with them anyway, if they refer them to me, like how, how would I help somebody? Right. right. And, and that was kind of the origins of it. And I was around, that was about 20 years ago now. That's crazy.
0: That's, you know, it, it, it's crazy in the fact that it is something you typically don't hear. You know, most of the time we always hear about somebody coming up because of dad or granddad or somebody worked in the firm, worked their way up. So you're taking a different approach, you know, to to get where you where you are. And you also do the same thing in the tax arena and helping people reduce, you know, the amount of taxes that they're paying. Can you tell us some about that?
1: Sure. You know, look, I, so I, once I got into finance a little bit, you know, you hear a million different things about the the different paths that you can take, right? Somebody taught me about life insurance and I was like, Hey, oh, you know, this sounds interesting. I met a guy that was interesting. He taught me about life insurance and, He said, here's some leads you can sell. When people buy a new house, they get mortgage protection life insurance to protect their largest asset. You can sell a mortgage protection. So, you know, I ran some of those leads and sold some appointments. And, you know, one week I get done and I'm like the largest producer he's ever had in one week. I close more policies than anybody. But it's a Thursday night, it's 11 o'clock at night, I'm exhausted. And half the applications are filled out and probably not all of them are going to qualify anyway. And this guy's on the phone going, this is the best thing ever, man, we've never had anybody do this much production. And he's like, you're so good at this. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, I quit. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you just told me that I'm on the top of the pinnacle of the best mountain that there is to climb. If that's true, I'm climbing the wrong mountain because this sucks. Right. right?" And I quit. The guy's like, no, no, no. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? I'm like, no, I'm done. But so I, you know, I learned how to sell life insurance and a whole bunch of other products along the way. And that was all instrumental in what I what I ultimately did, um, but you know how I got to tax planning was you know these different business models kept being brought to me, and I was able because of my situation and my circumstances to lean in some of these opportunities. So at one point, I became a guy that was you know um, helping retirees, people at or near retirement, right? Because that's typically when people have saved the most money, right. and those people are like, I want to take the money out of my qualified account. I want I want income for the rest of my life. I need my money to grow a little bit to hedge inflation. You know, I need to figure out my Social Security and my Medicare. I need to figure out my estate planning. Um, you know, taxation is an important element of it and all that stuff. So and there's some annuities that get sold in that for income and some life insurance for legacy and LTC and stuff, whatever. But, you know, it's a product mix for that client. The problem is, is you know that client is, is a mass affluent client. Those people are five hundred thousand dollars to a million and a half. You know they've they've been you know they're middle market people. There's nothing wrong with those people. Great people, but you know intellectually, it's a very repetitive process. It's the same thing you're saying to every single person over and over. So once you've done it a few times, there's no bandwidth that you're using intellectually, and that wasn't satisfying for me from that perspective. The other side of it is that marketplace is entrenched with a whole bunch of people that think relationships trump, t- trump technical ability. In other words, hey, you know, tell me about your grandkids. Tell me about your puppy dogs. Tell me about where you go on vacation. And that is a proxy or a substitute for quality financial advice. And I just don't believe that to be true. I believe that people need great financial advice. If we later become friends, awesome. But I don't think we need to be friends for me to give you great financial advice. I, I don't believe those two things are congruent. But So I had built a really substantial practice. I had done seminars and every other way you can get in front of people and referrals and whatnot. And I was bringing on about $40 million a year in assets, you know, a combination of some annuity sales, some life insurance, some asset management portfolio stuff, and helping these clients navigate their retirement. So, you know, maybe about 30 clients a year, give or take at the asset value I was at. But it was just unfulfilling. And it took a lot of people on my side, human capital, to be able to manage so many relationships of a bunch of million-dollar clients. And I said, man, there's and, – and, and what you learn about the people – and I'll tell you, I'm not the best human capital management person out there. Um, and I don't know that anybody is because humans can be crazy. But um, – you know, what you learn is that, um, you know, every time we would close a client, everybody wanted a raise, wanted more compensation, wanted more income. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm the one taking all the risk. I'm the one doing all the work. And I, I really felt like I was working for them, not they were working for me. And that stressed me out because I'm not good at managing people. And I didn't like that part of the business. Plus, I, there was no intellectual co- complexity to working with those clients, right? Right not for me anyway. So I said, I got to find a way to redesign it. So I fired everybody. I shut the office down. I subleased the building back out to somebody else. And I'm like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to start from scratch. Right. And I had a thesis and the thesis was very simple. Financial services is an ecosystem and there's investment insurance, retirement estate and taxation are the five core pillars of financial planning. Now, the average there's financial services companies out there that are trying to sell insurance and investments to people right? And that's how they try to enter that ecosystem. There's attorneys and CPAs that come in through the, through the legal angle of estate planning or the, or the tax angle, right? And then retirement planning is primarily how people save while they're with their employer until they get to the point where they need some or all of that other stuff. Well, my thesis was that the only way to get directly to the high net worth client and see bigger clients was to provide an instant level of gratification Right. If I tell you your stock market portfolio is going to do well over the next 10 years, we don't know until five or 10 years from now. But if I tell you I can save you $100,000 in taxes next year, that's almost instant gratification. right? Right. So I said, let me go to taxes. Let me figure out the stuff that the really wealthy people don't know or need to know that they're not being communicated. And let's provide them an instant level of gratification. And when you talk about taxes to a high net worth client, it's like blowing a dog whistle. Like other people may or may not hear it, but a really rich client that hates writing six figure t- checks, they hear it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that that was my thesis. And with that, um, I went back and started at an HR block from the ground up to learn the blocking and tackling of the tax business. That's
0: I, I totally agree with you when you're talking about, you know, the tax side of things, because, again, everybody's commenting and saying, hey, I need to. I want to save on taxes and, and things like that. Um, and being able to provide strategies to people um to help them with this. I mean, you know, to me it's gratifying to be able to help them. But then, you know, I mean, obviously we're all in this to to, to make money. The client is, and, and we are. Mm-hmm. Um with you know, with what you're doing, so many people think that hey, you know, my tax preparer knows all this stuff. They're telling me everything, uh, you know, that I need to know for tax breaks and stuff like that. I mean, you know, dispel that myth for me. Well, look,
1: it's pretty simple. When I I went to H&R Block, I did not really, I don't know that I walk into anything with expectations except just to learn, right? Like how do they communicate with clients? What do they do? Well, the reality of is H&R Block's business model is designed for really the lower 50% income earners in the United States. It's about getting refunds as quickly as possible, cash advancing those refunds out, doing childcare credits and all the other stuff, for really the lowest income earning people in America. So when you would see the people that actually made money and those tax returns come off, there weren't really people even at H&R Block that knew how to solve any of the problems for the wealthy clients. And if you think about it, They've created an avatar business model. And what I mean by that is, you know, you say, hey, when, when when Bob and Sue walk into the office and they're this age with this amount of income, here's the tools, products and stuff. Oh, we could put a 401k. We could put an IRA. We could put a SEP. We could do this, you know, child care deductive credit. They could put money in a 529. It's all these mass affluent tools, which there's nothing wrong. Those people need to be served and they need amazing advice. There's nothing wrong with that. But... What happens when a whale client walks in that none of those tools are useful at all is they try to just offer them the same stuff. There was never anybody that said, hey, this person is making a million dollars a year, not one hundred and thirty five thousand dollars a year. We need to treat them differently and offer them different stuff. There was no such thing. or no such mechanism for that. And so when I saw that gap in the planning opportunity, right? I said, well, you know, maybe there's tools and strategies that help those people out that most people don't know. And why would you? If, If you've got the average CPA has 500 clients, the average attorney has 500 clients statistically, one-tenth of 1% or one in a 1,000 people ever have a liquidity event north of $10 million. So if you have 500 clients and one in a 1,000 has an event over 10 million, why would you have a skill set to solve a $10 million problem when it's less than 1% potentially of of stuff you'll ever work on? You wouldn't need the skill set. It's not applicable, right? So- I said, I've got to if I figure out this tax thing to get to those people, I've got to find people going back to my planning in the beginning is who would refer me those people to work on them anyway. Right. Uh, Because I've got to find other people that are already doing business with those one million dollar people, but treating them like hundred thousand dollar people. And I've got to explain to them why there's a better way. Right. That, That was my thesis.
0: So, you know, Because one of the things I try to preach to to everybody is, you know, there's tax preparation being the H&R blocks that, you know, those people are historians. They're taking information from last year. They're putting it on a form, sending you out the door. Then there is true tax planning. And I consider what you do, true tax planning for people. And that's a separate engagement. Um, And I mean, can you talk through that a little bit? Because, you know, because, again, I, I try to tell people, hey, look, these are two different engagements. You know, it's not one and the same. And you expecting your tax preparer CPA to also do tax planning for you when you're only paying them to do tax preparation. You know, it's apples and oranges.
1: correct. Look, tax preparation is really simple. It's a historical look back of what you did in the past. And our goal is to put the right numbers in the right boxes on the right forms from a compliance standpoint to make sure that you stay out of trouble. So let's assume that the first six months out of the year, you get your tax prep out of the way. The second six months out of the year, if you are not having a meeting with your CPA that they bring you in and say something like, what if we put different numbers on different boxes in different forms? And let me show you what that might look like. If you've never had that conversation and you've never paid an additional fee for that conversation, then you have never had tax planning in your life. You haven't had it. So and most people just don't have a business model for that.
0: Right. I think that that the other thing, and and you help people, you know, with this also through through your tax planning, is you help them spend their tax dollars in efficient ways.
1: Sure. Well, one of the biggest problems with taxation, I, there, I met a lot of clients that don't mind paying taxes at all. They feel like it's it's a it, there it's an honor to pay taxes for many wealthy people. This country created an opportunity. This financial system created an opportunity for them to make money and have a lifestyle far beyond what they dreamed, right? What they don't like and they're not a fan of is how those tax dollars get currently used by the political system, right? So many of the programs out there just allow you to control and divert where you want your money to go to and the type of social good that you want to achieve with your dollars instead of letting some politician determine how it ultimately gets used, right? Right? It's not much more complicated than that. But if you can do good works and social good and also get a rate of return on your invested capital and also get tax benefits at the same time, why would you not want to do it if you know it exists?
0: Right, right. Um, You know, I, I think that it's that it's important for people, you know, not to harp on it too much, but that people need to understand that that tax planning is is still separate engagement, separate fee. And, and you really need to, um, to, to, to do this. You have to, to, to intentionally do it. It's not something that's going to happenstance and it's going to happen. You need to intentionally do that. In um, some of the, um, I guess, tell us some about the, the clients that, that you're dealing with, that you're helping, you know, through these situations and, and what, what, some of the fears are that they have.
1: Sure, happy to do that. And you know, before we do that, before I go back, I wanna go back and and piggyback on what you just said for a minute. You know, one of the things when I'm working with CPAs and attorneys and helping them build tax planning for some of their clients in their practice, kind of in in a partnership or arrangement, however we figure that out, is look, I I try to explain it to somebody. If you're showing somebody a what-if tax return, what if I put different numbers in different boxes? Could we get a different outcome, right? So, hey, Mr. Client, this is what you're going to pay this year. But if we were to move those numbers around, this is a possible outcome, right? Now, I'm not telling them what I did. I'm not asking them what I did. I'm trying to anchor them to the outcome, right? Over here, you paid $100,000 in taxes. Over here, you paid $25,000 in taxes. Would you like to know how to pay $25,000 in taxes? Well, I would absolutely like to know. Well, I'll tell you what, Mr. and Mrs. Client. That's a $75,000 tax savings over what you're currently doing, right? And for me to deliver that value or that service to you, I charge $5,000 to educate you on the tax planning because there is no magic wand I can wave over your life and make the taxes disappear. I'm materially gonna have to teach you new things and that's gonna take time, time, effort, education, and to get you to change your habits and your patterns. But it might be worth it because you said you'd like to pay $75,000 less taxes. So Mr. and Mrs. Client, that's a 15 to 1 trade off of economic value 5000 to 75000. Right. So if you buy bogo when you go to the grocery store ever and you won't buy 15 to 1 when that's 2 to 1 then then you need to rethink about this a little bit. Right right. <laughs> right. So help them understand the transfer of value, right? Like if you've ever bought Vogo, BOGO in a grocery store or any store, but you won't pay me for 15 X value, right? On a plan, right? You know, then I, then I just don't know what to tell you, right? <laughs> so. right.
0: But I, I think it's, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, because I know I've run up against this, you know, when, when I've talked to people about tax planning, because- you know when when they're going to the grocery store and they're doing BOGO, it's like, okay, they're getting it right there. They see it. So the the what we're doing from a tax planning standpoint, it's like, okay, well, I've never heard of that before. Or the you know the person I've been using is, you know, why didn't they tell me about it? Sure. And I just try to explain. It. It's like, okay, well, sometimes people just don't know. I mean, you know, you 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 hear about people who get these great vacation deals and stuff like that. It's just like, well, you got to know where to look and you got to have the right people in your camp to be able to help you with that.
1: Yep. Too many CPAs and tax attorneys are overworked from a capacity and a billable hour standpoint. When do do they have time to dive into advanced training that's going to serve 1% of their client base? So, you know, look, I liked my third grade teacher, Mrs. Doherty. She was amazing. But at one point I outgrew her intellectually and had to move on to the fourth grade, right? You might outgrow your CPA. You might outgrow your attorney. That doesn't mean the relationship's not valuable. That doesn't mean they don't care about you. That doesn't mean that they don't want the very best for you. But you might have outgrown their skill set. Right. That doesn't mean that they can't be part of your team on a go forward basis from a relationship or a critical eye standpoint and say, hey, you know what? I trust you. I've been with you 20 years. This person's bringing some really cool ideas to the table. I don't want you to necessarily bless them and I don't want you to necessarily kill them either. But I just want you to look at it with your lens and go. Does this hold water? Is this something we should look into a little bit more and explore? Because if you ask them, it, here's what happens if you ask a regular CPA or attorney to look into an advanced level solution, right? Number one, there's a high probability that they they've never done it before. They've never seen it. and They don't know anything about it. So then one of two things happens, right? Number one, they do a ton of digging, a ton of research, they Google the crap out of it, they try to self educate themselves, they maybe get some right answers, they maybe get some wrong answers, they're not 100% sure. And then they don't know how to bill you for that haphazard information anyway. So then they present it to you and they go, well, I found some good stuff. I found some bad stuff. I really like you. So I did spend some hours on this. But I just don't know, like, I really think it makes a ton of sense, right? So they didn't really add any value because they're not an expert in the strategy. Or they just flat out come out and say, no, this isn't any good for you. And it's because they didn't want to do any Googling. They didn't want to do any research. And if they did do it, they didn't know how to build a client for it. So why would you spend three hours doing additional work when you're already overworked that you can't get paid for? So they just say no, not know that it's bad. What they're really saying is, no, I'm not going to do any additional research for one client to figure out if this is useful or not. Not. That's what they're really saying no to. Right. Right. And I, I, and I think that that's, you know,
0: important. I mean, because, you know, again, you talk about, you know, we, we've talked before and we talked about teams and it's just like, you know, like you're saying, it's just like, OK, you know, I don't need to be the expert on every tax strategy that there is out there. I just need to have people like you that are tax experts and the strategies that you use and, other tax experts and the strategies that they use and so forth. So I think that that's what's important is making sure that that whoever you're working with has a team of people and then have access to these experts to be able to help with it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And look, the thing where I'm at today, which I could have never imagined what it would have turned into after doing this and chasing this rabbit for 10 years, right, is I have so many people in my ecosystem that know about really esoteric tax strategies. And I cut and now people bring me tax deals before anybody's ever seen it and go, what do you think? How how would this work? Like, who would this be a fit for? Do you see any hair on this deal? You know, like how does it make sense? So I'm literally seeing stuff before it even hits the marketplace today from people in my ecosystem. It's it's very common. I was just in a conference in Dallas about two months ago. And, you know, these three guys were there from a law firm with a with a tax deal. And, you know, they kept networking around the room. And eventually my name came up like three times. And they're like, we got to find this guy. He's in this room somewhere. If we got a tax deal and we want anybody to take it serious, we need to go talk to this guy, right? So, you know, sure enough, these guys end up and the guy explains it to me. Well, because of what I've done and what I've seen, I understood 95% of what he was talking about right out of the gate in just a very casual conversation because I look at these kind of deals and these programs all the time. And then there was just a little bit that I was like, okay, I need to dial in this piece of it. I'm not sure exactly how you're structuring that. And then when I, you know, so it was, so, so that's the fun part right when you've been doing it for a while now people bring you all these ideas and I'm seeing these things sometimes a year two three years before the marketplace ever sees them um, you know I'm working with law firms right now on tax opinions for structures that we're putting together you know would could should tax opinions um, you know how if, if you use this as an investor and you got challenged by the IRS tax court how would they look at it would they look at it favorably would they look at it unfavorably and any other previous tax court challenges that we feel like are similar like how did those people win and how did those people that show up lose right, right so right. so we have a kind of a, a road map of going okay if we're going to go down this path we want to check all of these boxes and not do these things because these things bring the ire of the regulatory authorities and these things seem to give us clear sailing right right um right. but it's but i tell people all the time you know you have to, if we can't teach that old dog a new trick, then then we can't do any of this because there is no magic wand I can wave across your life to make your taxes go away. You're going to have to do something different than you've ever done before. If you're not willing to invest the time to learn what that is and how it works, right? Right. Then I can't, I can't help you and we shouldn't do this. Right. Right. Totally agree.
0: So we covered a bunch of stuff in a short period of time here. Um, I could go on for, forever here. What have I not asked you that you wish I had?
1: That's a great question. So look, I, I would tell you this, right? Right. The bulk of the financial services system is set up for what we call mass affluent clients. A mass affluent client is, you know, somebody making, you know, you know, husband and wife, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, maybe they have close to a million dollars saved, you know, including the value of their primary residence, but it could be a much younger person still earning in the saving spectrum. But, but, but most of the products and services that you're going to buy are meant for those people. They're designed for those people, the articles that are written, the, the, the post on social media that you see, they're all designed for that mass affluent middle market client. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're rich, right, if you're making seven figures in income, if you're worth, you know, multiple seven figures of a net worth, whether it's illiquid business equity or real estate equity or stocks or whatever, if you're worth millions and your income is almost a million or more in that ballpark, there is stuff for you that is very different than any of the stuff you're reading about on the Internet. And why do they not write about it? Well, because the Internet is about clicks and eyeballs. And if you're a one percenter, the person that wrote that article doesn't want one percent clicks. They want 65 percent clicks. So they get a raise or can sell more ad revenue for it. So people aren't writing about and I get asked all the time. I've been in almost every media outlet out there. I always get asked to spin it and slant it most times so that more clicks and eyeballs will show up on it. They don't want me to really talk about it in the way that. The wealthier people should be talking about it, right? So, look, it's just it's 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 misinformation. It's a lack of information. It's but it's it's out there and it exists. And you're different, and and you have to find people that plan with people like you all day. So, one of the things that I was taught when I was in the retirement plan business, working with people that were retiring that were worth five hundred thousand dollars, is hey, look. You're landing this plane for the first time. I've landed this plane 500 times. I can get this on the ground safely, and we're going to be fine, right? Well, if you're a high net worth client and you're different than everybody else, you need to find someone that's landed that plane multiple times with people like you in it. And and unfortunately, it's not the person that you currently have the relationship with because you outgrew the relationship. And now you need expertise, kind of like in the medical field. It's not your general practitioner anymore. There's something going on. You need a specialist. And hopefully it doesn't bruise the ego enough of your primary care provider to refer you to that specialist.
0: Right. Right. Totally agree. Now, Matt, you have, um, you know, you have your own podcast um, and other uh, avenues that people can can get to you. Can you tell our listeners, because I'm sure many of them have have like what they heard and they want to learn more. Where can they go?
1: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. So look, I I have started a podcast earlier, I think at the beginning of this year, so I'm still in its infancy, but I think we have maybe 20 episodes out. Um, We call it the tax alpha podcast uh, with Matt Chansey. And so tax alpha, for those of you that don't know, it's just the excess return that you get from an investment due to the tax benefits associated with it. Right? So tax alpha podcast, Matt Chansey, my website is Matt Chansey live. And if you Google Matt Chansey and certified financial planner or Matt Chansey CFP, um, there are a couple of other Matt Chanseys out there. One of them is a shady politician from Alabama and another one is a kick-ass drummer from Oklahoma. Um, I actually follow him on Instagram. That dude can cover anything. But anyway, uh, but I'm the only certified financial planning Matt Chancy or financial advisor guy. So Matt Chansey, financial advisor, my LinkedIn, my, my, my websites and all that stuff come up. I'm pretty, I'm pretty Googleable or a bunch of articles that I've kind of been bylined in over the, over the years. So um, not, not that hard to find.
0: Great. Great. Well, Matt, I really appreciate your time uh, today and your wisdom. I think our our listeners uh, are going to get a lot from uh, this
1: podcast. Good stuff. Well, Gary, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right. Thank you. So this week, our guest was Matt Chansey, and I will see you guys next week.
1: This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC.